All right. Well, that is the message for today. And uh, so we can just pray. Um, No, Um, it really is. I mean, that same power that conquered the grave. If you're a believer in Jesus, lives in you. And here's the deal. That's not just some theological idea. That's not some intellectual thing that you go, oh, yeah, I know that. No, that's something that really and truly ought to change your life. And that's what we're going to talk about. You know, as I sat down to begin putting this message today together, I, I thought, good grief, for Father's Day, I have chosen, I mean, of all the passages of Scripture in the Bible, that passage of Scripture in which God comes to Abraham and institutes the rite of circumcision. And uh, the irony of that was not lost on me. Uh, And it occurred to me that it may not have been lost on you. So let me put your mind at ease at the beginning of this message. This is not going to be a message on circumcision, and neither is this going to be a message just for dads. Uh, I hope that us who are dads here today take it to heart. I think it will be applicable to us, but it's a message for moms. It's a message for kids. It's a message for single people. It's a message for married people without kids. It is a message for absolutely everyone who claims Christ as their Savior, which brings me to the real reason that I chose this passage, and there are two. Number one, it involves a story out of the life of a guy named Abraham. And when you run forward into the New Testament, into Paul's writings, into the letter of Galatians in particular, what does Paul tell us about Abraham? He says that if, hear that word, you have the faith of Abraham, then you're a son or daughter of Abraham. So on Father's Day, I want you to know that you have a father that maybe you didn't even know you had if you have his faith. And that's the other reason I chose this passage of Scripture, because in this story, we see the nature and the character of the faith of our father in the faith. And maybe you're a bottom line person like me. You know, if you give you the bottom line up front, you can relax and listen to the rest of the conversation. So let me give you the bottom line up front. It's a resurrection faith. It's a faith that really and truly believes and then lives like it believes. That's actual faith. That through faith in Christ, the risen Jesus, you belong to a great and mighty God and King, okay, who not only can, but will, either in this life or in the next, take absolutely everything that dies in your life, and then out of that, bring a form of life that is so wonderful, that is so marvelous, that is so glorious that if you were given the opportunity to go back and rewrite your life and write some of that stuff out, you'd leave it in place. You'd leave it in place. And here's the effect that it should have on you today. Entrusting those things that have died to the Lord, it should allow you even now and here to experience joy. For that's what your father Abraham experienced. The story that we're going to look at today begins in Genesis 17, starting in verse 1 where we read this, Abram, who as we'll see in a second, will be renamed Abraham. Okay, Abram was already 99 years old at the beginning of this story that we're going to look at today. So what that means, practically speaking, is that Abram has already done a whole lot of living. And if you know anything about his story, if you know the narrative leading up to this story, you know that he's done a whole lot of living in which he's experienced a whole lot of death, including the death of his every expectation about how his life was going to go, including the expectations that, at least in my opinion, he very reasonably, you know, kind of was led to believe by God himself. God himself came to Abraham in a foreign land and said, listen, I want you to leave the land. I want you to leave your relatives. I want you to leave your family. And I want you to go to this land, this promised land that I'm going to give to you. And in faith in that, he did, didn't he? 
And at the bottom line, very least of his expectations, it seems to me, that land would be, in fact, unoccupied. He'd be able to move right in, take possession of it, enjoy it. Is that the way that it worked out? No. He travels all of this distance, leaving everything behind. That's a lot of death, is it not? And then he gets there, and the land is fully occupied by armed people who are very numerous and have no intentions of checking out and handing it over to him. But at least it was beautiful, that is, until the famine struck, and then it went brown and dead, and he didn't even have enough in that land to sustain his flocks and his herds and his servants and his households. It's kind of disappointing, isn't it? But out of that, God brought the life of the understanding that the land that Abraham truly was looking for, that I'm to be looking for, that you're to be looking for, is is a new heavens and a new earth. It's a very different promised land, but that was a lesson of life learned through difficulty, but no lessons of life more difficult for Abraham than the ones that he learned with regard to the promise of a son. That's the other promise he got. God came to Abram at the age of 75. His wife, Sarai, who will be renamed Sarah also here in a second, was 65. They had no kids and not for lack of trying. If you do the math on that, they were married for over 50 years. The flame of we're going to have kids, man, it had died a long, long, long time before God came to them and promised them a son. And so this promise of a son was a really big deal. And emotionally, they took a really big step based on that promise. They relit that flame, did they not? And not only was it a big deal for that reason, it was a big deal because of what God said to them about this son. He came to them and he said about this son, listen, this son that you will have, okay, through this son, through his lineage, through his descendants, through his genealogy will come my son, the hope of the world, the savior of all who put their faith and trust in him, Jesus the Christ, which means practically speaking, and they knew this, the hope of the world depended upon the birth of this son. So then what was their very reasonable expectation? Well, their very reasonable expectation is that surely Sarah would get pregnant, well, pretty much immediately, would she not? I mean, again, he's 75, she's 65 now. They had really long lives, God blessed them with, so that's a little bit closer to middle age than it would be for the rest of us. But if her biological clock was still ticking, and it sure seems that it was at that point, there were not a lot of ticks left. So surely this is going to be the month that you're going to become pregnant. No. Well, then it's going to be month number two. Not for them. Three months? Thanks for playing. Nine months. A year. Five years. Nine or ten years go by. Now, Abram is 84 or 85. Sarai is 74 or 75. And menopause for this woman who had already been barren all of her life, has long since come and gone. And they begin to despair. And the Lord comes to them again and renews His promise to Abram. And Abram, it says, believed that promise. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, wait a minute. What is that a faith in? It is a faith that God will bring forth a living son from two people who procreatively speaking, meaning in terms of their ability to have that son, were not just dead, guys. They were dead. They were buried. They were fully mature trees growing on their graves. 
It is a resurrection faith. Life out of death. And so they begin trying to have this son yet again. And what is their reasonable expectation now? It's surely this will be the month that you will become pregnant. Guess what? It isn't. How about month number two? Nope. Number three, thanks again for playing. Sorry. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Look, a year or so goes by and Sarai says, I think I've seen enough. The flame out. I'm done. That resonates with me a little bit. I kind of get that. She is massively disappointed. She's disappointed in the Lord, really. And so she comes to Abram with an idea. She says, all right, here, I've got this idea. I have this servant. She's much younger than me. Her name is Hagar. She's Egyptian. What I want you to do is I want you to have our son, but with her. I'm going to substitute her fruitful womb for my unfruitful womb. And so then at the age of 85, Abram has a son named Ishmael, but not with Sarai, with Hagar. Hagar. And then we come to our story today. Again, Genesis 17, verse 1, it says that when Abram was 99 years old, which makes Sarai 89 years old, which makes Ishmael 13 years old, and which means that it's been 14 or 15 years since God has last mentioned this idea of a promised son. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram yet again and said to him, I am what? Because it seems to me that this is the bottom line. This is the issue. The question is, do you, Abram, Tom, you, really believe this? He comes to him and he says, let me remind you of who I am before I have the rest of this conversation with you. I am God Almighty. And I can just imagine, you know, God has a flair for the dramatic. So he pauses at that point. And Abram's thinking, you know, because here's the implication. So then Abram, so then Tom, so then you. Is there anything that I, as God, cannot do? Anything. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him yet again, and he said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply your descendants greatly. So clearly, Abram is going to have a lot of descendants. And the question is, through whom? Is that going to be through Ishmael or is that going to be through 89-year-old, barren all of her life, already way past menopause, Sarai? When he was 99, the Lord appeared to him. And he said, I'm God Almighty, don't forget that. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram, who is our father in the faith and our example for today, fell flat on his face in the posture of worship before this God, who if we're honest, as we play out his life in our own hearts and minds, as we emote with this man who left everything to come to a land that was occupied and then went brown, who followed a Lord who promised him a son, which was the greatest desire of his heart, and the flames of which had died in terms of the hope of ever having had him, who've waited 25 years and has been told a few times already that this is going to happen. Look, he could seriously be disappointed with the Lord, it seems to me. He has every cause for that. Life has not worked out for him the way that he thought it would, darn it. And even the way that he thought it would, based upon the representations of the Lord, 
But in it working out different, he learns a lot about the Lord. The Lord fulfills all the promises. Nevertheless, he falls flat on his face in the posture of worship. It's a pretty powerful example. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. I know you only have one son now, and it was by the handmaiden. He's, it's not going to happen with him either. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which means exalted father. What a joke that must have been for the first 85 years of his life. But your name shall be Abraham, which means father of a multitude. For I have made you the father of of a multitude of nations. I have made you. God speaks of it as though it's already done. And He's speaking of something that will be accomplished far beyond the physical life of this man on the earth. God thinks beyond our days. He's not so limited as we. He says, "'For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful.'" And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you, and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land, so there's the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And so again, Abram is going to have a lot of descendants, but through him. Ishmael or Sarai? Well, we find our answer in verse 15. When we read this, it says, And God said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, which means princess. It's beautiful, isn't it? Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham, it says, fell flat on his face yet again in the power or in the posture of worship. And and what did he do? Because we need to examine it carefully. And it's not, I think, what it looks like. It says, and he laughed, and he said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Now, when you read that in your personal worship this week, you know, I, I almost promise you that what you thought here is that Abram is laughing at this ridiculous idea. And so then it's the laughter of cynicism. It's the laughter of skepticism. It's the laughter, frankly, of unbelief. It's the laughter of, oh my goodness, really, again, we're going to have this conversation? I don't think that's true. And I don't think it's true for a bunch of reasons. Number one, in the very next verse, all of a sudden Abraham comes to grips with the reality, the implications of the birth of this promised son through Sarah on his already now 13-year-old son Ishmael, whom he loves, and he says to God, hey, well, wait a minute, can we just fulfill the promises through him instead because he's feeling like this son is going to be massively dispossessed, and he is, incidentally, by the birth of this son 
through his barren all of her life, way past menopause wife. Now, why would he have that concern if he didn't believe that was even a possibility? Secondly, in the very next chapter, we come to a story in which Sarah now gets wind of this, and what does she do? She laughs, but she does laugh in skepticism. And what does the Lord do? He immediately rebukes her, but he doesn't rebuke Abraham. It's a different kind of laughter. Lastly, listen to what Paul says in Romans 4, beginning in verse 18. He says, In hope Abraham believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as, keyword, dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, which again is what? It's to bring forth a living son from two people who, procreatively speaking, okay, they're not just dead, they're dead, they're buried, trees growing on the graves. It's a resurrection faith, and so his laughter is not one of skepticism, it's one of wonder. It's not one of cynicism, it's one of marvel. My goodness, God can even bring forth a living child from a man who is a hundred years old and through Sarai, who's 90? It's the laughter of joy. And the point is that it's the kind of laughter that belongs only to people who, like Abraham, through Christ, belong to a God who can and will, either in this life or in the next, just gather up the dead things and out of them bring forth forms of life that are so marvelous that, honestly, if you could go back and rewrite your story and all the things you'd you'd like to change, you'd leave in place for all the wondrous things that God, for His glory, has brought forth from them. And that produces joy, which I think is an appropriate message for any Sunday. But if I could just be totally real with you guys for a couple of minutes as well, I, I think it's really appropriate for a Father's Day or for that matter, for a Mother's Day. And I'll say this because this is not a fun day for everyone. It's really not. It's oftentimes a day in which you feel forced, in fact, to meditate and to dwell upon or at least to be reminded of the fact that, you know what, you are living in a broken relationship with a father or a mother or a son or a daughter. Or it's a day in which, you know, you look at that wonderful father or mother or son or daughter that you once had and you grieve anew their loss because you no longer have them, at least not in this life. For some, it's a reminder of the children that they cannot have. For some, it's a reminder of the children that they do have. And of all of the many mistakes that we as parents make and so acutely feel the weight of, which I think is one of the reasons why a number of dads and moms honestly just don't come to church on Mother's Day or Father's Day because it's kind of like, you know, good grief, I already feel insecure enough about myself as a parent, so now I'm going to go to church and this guy's going to give me 15 more things to do, which would have been helpful 35 years ago, or, you know, I'm not even doing the 15 he gave me last year, which is exactly what I'm not doing this year. What I'm doing instead is I'm pointing you to the one who can take your failures, who can take everything that dies, and not only can, but in His way, in His timing, 
bring life out of them for His glory and for your good, which I'm pretty sure, incidentally, is what Abraham and Sarah would have remembered on Father's Day or Mother's Day if they had had it back in their day. In other words, I think that that they wouldn't just remember the pain of that long, long season of barrenness and of all the disappointments that they experienced in their really amazingly long lives. I think what they would have remembered on a day like this is God's goodness and God's grace and the amazing lessons and experiences that they learned as a result of all of those deaths about the power of our God to take dead things and out of them bring glorious and wonderful life. So I want to ask you today, what on this day will you choose to remember? Because it's your choice, isn't it? And every day we wake up and we make it. I'm going to choose to remember all of the deaths. I'm going to choose to remember all of the disappointments. I'm going to choose to make my case against this person or that person or against the Lord or against myself. I can choose that or I can take all of that and bring it to Christ. And I can remember that through faith in Him like Abraham, I belong to a God who will take the messes I've made and the deaths that I've experienced. And either in this life or in the next, guys, He will out of them bring wondrous life. There's joy in that. There is a different kind of laughter that belongs to the person who believes and who lives that out. So bring that to the Lord this morning. And let Him fill your heart with joy. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Abraham and for Sarah, his precious wife. God, we do thank You for the story of their life. And Lord, we praise You for capturing it. And by Your Spirit, including it as You have in Your Word for our benefit, that we might go to it and sympathize with this man and with this woman who are really not so different from any of us. And Lord, who by faith and perseverance have received their reward, they learned the lessons. They clung to You in all things, even by their fingernails at times, no doubt. And, oh God, the life that You have brought through the two of them who on their own, naturally speaking, were dead. Lord, encourage us this day to bring to you the dead things in our lives, to commit each one of them to you, mistakes that we've made, things that we've done, things that we've said, things that have been done and said to us, about us. Lord, take them. And fill us with a faith that says that in you, it's all good. It ends in glory because of Jesus. And that is your grace to us. God, let us see in this life and in the next the good that you bring out of all the disappointment and death, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.